right. So we today we come to uh, the end of our time in our Exodus series, as Adam was saying. Um, and I, I think it's been really good for us, hasn't it? Um, I think this part of the Bible, it takes a lot more work, a lot more kind of perseverance and digging through to, to get your head around it. Um, but as I've been, you know, hearing reflections from you guys, it's, it sounds like it's been really good for us. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried one of those read your Bible in a year plans. Um, you might have done it. Um, you normally start out pretty strong, don't you? You know, you dig into Genesis. It's really interesting. You're full of enthusiasm and conviction. You get to the, the first part of Exodus. And you're like, yeah, this is amazing. This is so good. And then you get to the bit of Exodus that we've gotten to, uh, the, the covenant, the law, the priesthood the architectural designs of the tabernacle. And I reckon this is where our Bible reading plans usually go to die. Uh, and so I reckon we've done heaps well, heaps well in persevering through this, and it's been really good for us. Um, if you've got your Bible there, I'm going to actually preach to that whole um, chapter 35. And so um, I'm going to kind of start in that first section. So have that open in front of you. Um, but this process that we're doing of, of slowing down, working really hard at trying to deeply understand what it means for us, um, it really shows us what it means to know God and to be his people. And the same is true of the passage that we're, we're looking at today. Uh, this passage is about the construction of the tabernacle, and, and we're not uh, called to be involved in the same construction, but we are called to offer ourselves in worship to God. And so this is the big thing that comes out of this passage we're looking at today. It's that we've been one for worship. Like Adam said before, that the type of worship that God delights in. And so in the middle of this term, you might remember we slowed down and we looked at some New Testament passages on worship. And why we did this is because this is what Exodus has really been about. What does it look like to worship the living and true God? And what kind of worship does he delight in? And this, this idea of worship, we've seen it from the very beginning of the Exodus narrative. Uh, if you can think back to um, when it began, chapter 1, you've got this people group called Israel, and they're living in slavery under an oppressive regime of Pharaoh. He's the, he's the ruler of Egypt, and he's using Israel to build for him a kingdom for himself. They're building palaces, storehouses, even whole cities. They're serving Pharaoh, but it's a forced service. They're slaves. And I don't know about you, but any time I'm forced to do something, my heart isn't stirred towards that person, is it? And so they cry out to God, and God comes and saves them from their slavery. And so God calls Moses to be his leader, and he goes to, the, to Pharaoh with this message. It's from, we see it all throughout uh, the beginning of Exodus, but there's one part from Exodus 7, 16, and he says this to him, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. And so God's goal has been to get them out for their good, but that they would also worship him. 
And so we know what happens next. Pharaoh keeps saying no, and God keeps sending plague after plague against Egypt until finally he relents and lets them go. And so now Israel are out in the wilderness, and they're, they're about to worship, or we're anticipating that they're going to worship their God. And so instead of building cities for Pharaoh, they're now out here to build a tabernacle, a house for the living and true God. And so this is why we, we say we've been one for worship, or Israel have been one for worship, that they've been saved to serve this living and true God. But if you've been tracking with us, uh, it hasn't gone that smoothly, has it? Over the last two weeks, uh, we saw that their worship became seriously misdirected. While Moses was up receiving the law and the instructions for the tabernacle, Israel took off their gold jewelry, made it into an, a golden calf, and they worshipped it. And so instead of worshipping the one worthy of worship, they're, they're worshipping this lifeless, man-made object. It's seriously misdirected worship. And if not for God's mercy towards them, they would have faced a just punishment for what they had done. They deserve to be totally wiped out. But instead, they've been saved again. This time, not from slavery, but from their sin and the punishment it deserved. Saved from sin by the grace of God towards them. And so even though our circumstances today are much different to Israel, this is where Exodus speaks to us. This pattern of being one for worship becomes our pattern too when we put our hope in Jesus. We, like Israel, are prone to misdirected worship. But God in his mercy sent his son Jesus to uh, die the death that we deserve. And so just like Israel, we've been called for this purpose too. We've been, we've been one for worship, saved to serve him with our life. And so now we land in this moment in chapter 25, off the back of this golden calf incident, eagerly anticipating what's going to happen next. Are, are Israel going to really have a change of heart? Are we going to finally see this worship that they're being called to? And what we actually see in that passage we read earlier is that they finally get it right. They give themselves to this construction of the tabernacle, the glorious dwelling place of God. And, and, and when it's finished, God's presence comes and dwells amongst it. And so he's with them, he's with his people finally. And so this is the climax of the book of Exodus, God coming and dwelling with them them finally getting it right. And so the question that I want to kind of dig into today with you is what about their worship did they finally get right? Because I think there's three principles here uh, that, that are going to help shape our worship of him as well. Um, and, and, and I think they all start with T. I'm going to try and make it easy for you. They offer up their time, their treasure, and their talent. And so this is what we're going to dig into. We're going to kind of think through these three things. But as we consider the worship that's going on here with the construction of the tabernacle, we need to be aware of the big difference between 
Old Testament worship and New Testament worship. And so in, in the Exodus, we see that worship happens in and around uh, the tabernacle, that as Israel participates in the sacrificial system that God set up, this is what is meant by worship. But when we get to the New Testament, Jesus talks about it differently. There's actually a big change that happens. When Jesus comes, he says, worship's no longer restricted to a place or a time, that it doesn't happen at the, the tabernacle or the temple, but that true worship happens in spirit and in truth. That now, because believers have God's spirit, we're no longer bound to the Old Testament restrictions of worship. And so this means that all our lives can be used uh, to worship God. And we saw this when we looked at Romans 12, didn't we? That we're to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. It's, it's connecting um, worship to the Old Testament, but then applying it to all of our lives now. And so our worship becomes everything we do to honour and praise his name. Our, our obedience is worship. Our service is worship. Our praise is worship. And so God asks us to offer ourselves to him in worship. And so even though we find ourselves at a different moment in history, it's the same principle for us here. And so let's dig into it. Here's the first one, our time. So verse, uh, chapter 35, go all the way back to verse 1, and I'll read it for you. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. <laughs> and so I feel like in our Australian Coffs Coast culture, uh, no one's throwing up their hands at the, the offer of a day off, are they? Uh, this actually sounds really awesome. Um, but it's not just a day off. It's to be a Sabbath day of rest to the Lord. And so the, the Sabbath is about using the time that you've got to entrust yourself to God. We, we actually saw back in Exodus 16, um, God teaching Israel how to Sabbath. And so what he would do is he would send them manna that they'll go out and fetch and make in, um, to what they eat. Uh, but on the sixth day, he would send a double portion and there'd be none on the seventh day. And so in this, he's teaching them that not to work on that final day, but instead uh, entrust themselves to him. A, a day to pause and celebrate the way that God provides for them. And so when we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus challenge those that make this Sabbath day into a matter of law-keeping. And so Jesus actually shows that we're not bound to the same requirements, like you're not going to die if you have a, uh, don't have a day off. Uh, but the principle, it's still there for us. Jesus calls us to come to him for rest and care. He's the, he's the bread of life, our provider. And so we too need this regular pattern of stopping and in entrusting ourselves to him, to give space and time to reflect on his goodness to us, that we might, we might be led to celebrate and worship him. And so, how good are you at stopping? 
I find that I'm happy to stop work, but I just start going hard at everything else. I find that I have this compulsion to want to accomplish things, strive, organize, achieve, build things. And these things, they're not bad in themselves. But how do you go at using the time you have to stop and actually give it to God, to to pause and reflect on his goodness? How we use our time shows us where our heart is really at. And so I think we're often happy to offer up to God other things, but we, we become really protective of our time. Would you say that time is your most precious asset? How much time does God get from you? Because through this Sabbath principle, God asks us to offer it up, offer our time up to him. That this is an act of worship. Here's the next thing. Uh, It's our treasure. And so look there at verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver and bronze, blue, purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. And so here we've got a list of materials uh, that are needed to build this tabernacle. I've got a, got a picture of the tabernacle for you. Um, we're quite familiar with the concept of glamping, uh, that if you're going to rough it in a tent, uh, you want to do it in a bit of comfort. And so you could say that this tabernacle tent is glamping on a whole nother level. Uh, but what you actually see in it is it's, it's not really about comfort, but it's to express the glorious nature of the one who inhabits it. And so God asks for their treasures, their gold, their silver, their precious stones, as extravagant things to show them the honour that his name deserves. And this is the the same concept that we saw with Mary and the perfume with Jesus. The object of worship was so glorious that it was worth every extravagant act towards it. And so God is asking Israel here to show him honour by giving up their treasure, the the precious things they have. And and did you notice the way that God asks? He doesn't force his will upon them. He just invites them to offer it up willingly. It's called a free will offering. So this really sits in contrast with um, Pharaoh's rule over Israel. That as slaves, Pharaoh would demand and force his will upon them. And even in the golden calf incident that we saw two weeks ago, you see Aaron demand that they give him the jewelry to make this thing. But this is not how the God of the Bible works. He invites us to freely offer up what we have. He doesn't enforce these requests upon us. And so we know of uh, powerful empires that have existed in our recent history, like things like the uh, Soviet Empire and the the Nazi Party. Uh, With them, it's join or die. (laughs) But that's not, that, that kind of approach doesn't cultivate affection towards the empire, does it? 
If anything, it breeds a resentment. And so that's not how God presents himself here, is it? It wouldn't be true worship if God forced us into it. God gives us a choice because he wants us to choose him. And so when we give to him, he wants us not to give under compulsion, but with a generous heart for him. And I don't know if you picked up the irony in this either. Uh, If you know Exodus, when Israel were leaving Egypt, God told them to plunder their Egyptian neighbours. And so as they were heading off, they would ask their neighbours for all their uh, treasures and precious things, and God would cause them to act favourably towards them and give them these things. And so all this wealth, all this treasure that they have... It wasn't even theirs in the first place. God gave it to them from Egypt. And so we often get uh, possessive of what we believe we own, uh, that what we have, we earn it with our own blood, sweat and tears. But it's the same for us as it is for Israel. All that we have was first given to us by God. And so when we think of our treasure, our, our money, our assets, those material things that are precious to us, these are things that God has entrusted to us. What God is saying here is is give to me what I've already given to you. I'm not going to force you to do it. I want you to give it up freely, not under compulsion, but with a generous heart. And I even want to take this a step further. Uh, Think about this. If God is God, he doesn't need our treasure, does he? He he has the ability to have whatever he wants. And so part of why he asks us to give is because of what it actually does to our hearts. As we give up our treasure, even in the pain and the costliness of it, we learn to put our trust in him, to rely on his strength and not our own. And so through giving, God actually grows our heart towards him. And I was thinking about this during the week. Uh, We find ourselves as a church uh, renting from building to building. I think we've been uh, six and we're living quite nomadically as a church. We get called uh, the gypsy church. Um, And sometimes it's easy to just dream about some billionaire coming along and gifting us a building. And I think, oh, we'd all probably jump at that. That would be great, wouldn't it? But if someone bankrolled a building for us, I think we'd actually miss what God does in our hearts when we give to him. As we give, our hearts grow to trust in him. There's a pragmatic nature to giving. We need to pay people to be set aside for ministry and to pay the bills but we shouldn't underestimate what God does in our hearts as we give to him. And so give to the Lord's work generously. It's good for your heart. And so consider this, how might God be calling you to offer up your treasure to him? How can you use what God has entrusted to you uh, to give to the work of the Lord, to him and his people? Here's the third one. He asks us to offer up our talents. And so look there at verse 10. 
All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle with its tent and covering, class, frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover, and the curtain that shields it. And, and this list goes on and on. The table, the lampstand, the altar, the curtains, the tent pegs, the priestly attire, all to be made by those that have the talent to do so. And so what God asks for here actually goes a bit deeper, doesn't he? He asks for our abilities, our skills, our talents, that they would be used to contribute to God, his people, and his work as an act of worship. And we see in this, this picture of the church, that together we come bringing our talents, skills, and abilities to serve him and his people, that we're meant to work as a body, each having its own part. And this is part of our worship as well. Offer up what you've got for the service of God. And so it's worth considering, how has God made you? How has he uniquely designed you with the talents and the abilities that you have? And how can you use that to serve him and his people? You might be reflecting on what you have and not think it's uh, extravagant or glorious. You might have a really obscure skill and you're puzzled of how you could use that to serve God. But if it's done for the Lord in worship, it's glorious to him. And sometimes it just takes being willing and able. And so are you willing? Are you willing to use what you've got to serve him? And I think behind all these three uh, things, there's this really big truth that comes out in it that's really important for us to grasp. It's this. It's that all that we are, all that we own, all that we have, is because it was first given to us by God. The time we have, only to how much God has apportioned us. The treasures we have, only because he's given it to us. The skills and abilities, only because God's allowed that to happen. And so one of the greatest threats to our worship is thinking that we're self-made people. That my treasure is mine because I did the hard work to earn it. That my time is mine. I need it every moment I can get. That my skills that I have, it's only because I practiced and worked hard. The truth is... We're not as self-made as we think. To make it as a baby to an adult is because you've been completely dependent on so many other people to get you there. To have the skills that you have uh, to operate in the job that you might have is probably because you got an education from someone else that in this country is free. (laughs) You're dependent on these things. The very fact that you're still breathing because God allows you to take another breath, for your heart to beat another second. No one is self-made. To think that way is arrogant. And if they, this way of thinking creeps in, our worship will be disingenuous. It'll feel like you're doing favours for God, that in some way he is reliant on you. And so we've got to be on guard against this arrogance that can uh, bubble up inside of us. 
And so we come to the, the end of this passage, and this is the bit we read before, and we're, and we're really anticipating, like, after all Israel's failures, are they going to get it right? Are they going to worship God rightly? And, and I'm going to read it again. Verse 20, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. All who were women, were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewellery of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Uh, just skip down to verse 25 there. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen, and all the women who were willing and had a skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. And then verse 29, you get this kind of conclusion of it all. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. So they finally get it right, don't they? We get this beautiful picture of them hearing what God asked for them, them going away, seeing what they have, and bringing it all for the worship and service of God. You've got men, women, and children doing everything that they can, that everyone has a part to do. Everyone has a, a way to contribute to what's happening here. Uh, this is a picture of the community of God's people unified in their worship of him. And God receives this act of worship with delight. And this is why at the end of this, you get to chapter 40, he comes and he dwells amongst the tabernacle. But what I really want to kind of spend this last time doing is drawing attention to, attention to what is happening to the heart in worship. And so look at verse 21 again. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering. If you've got an ESV translation, it will say, everyone whose heart stirred in them. And so what you were seeing here, it's not dry religious practice. This is worship coming out of a stirred heart for God. That's beautiful, isn't it? But I think we see this and we think, oh, I wish my heart did this more often. I wish my heart was stirred to worship God. Because I think the reality is, is we don't always feel this way, do we? And so I want to finish by looking at the two things that I reckon is stirring Israel's heart here so that we can kind of share in them too. But before I get to those, I think it can be dangerous to rely on your heart for worship. We need to be cautious of what actually stirs our hearts. And I think this is why... Our hearts are deceptive. Our hearts lie to us. Jeremiah 79 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And so you can't actually trust your heart to be stirred towards the right things. You need to be wary about what your heart tells you to go after. And so I think we come to worship, and especially reading this passage, and we, and we kind of want this authentic experience of worship. We want to be true to ourselves. But what happens when we're not feeling stirred for the right thing? 
I think what we're tempted to do is actually pull back. Uh, to say to ourselves, oh, I shouldn't be trying to worship God if my heart's not feeling stirred. It, it would feel a little bit disingenuous. And so I just want to kind of give us a warning on this way of thinking because we can't trust our hearts to be stirred for the right things. Your heart is a liar. It will drift towards things that aren't good for you, things that aren't worthy of your worship, things like the golden calf. So don't rely on this kind of authenticity to motivate your worship. I think a realistic understanding of our hearts is what's going to help us push through this side of heaven. Um, Times when we're feeling our hearts not quite there, I think we need the struggle and the perseverance that worship calls us into. I think if we neglect this struggle, we can also miss the way that it stirs your heart. So it kind of works the other way. I'll give you an example of this. Sometimes I come into church and I'm not feeling it. Like, I work for church. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, (laughs) But I would miss the way that this practice stirs my heart for worship if I just didn't come, if I just wanted to be authentic. And so don't write off good rhythms. Keep persevering in good habits that you have, even when your heart's not feeling there. Keep turning up. Keep serving God. Keep faithfully offering what you have uh, week in and week out. And, and you might find that these things stir your heart. I know they do for me. I, I find that I come in, I'm not, not quite feeling it. A couple songs in, I see the mercy and the kindness of God, and my heart is stirred towards him. And so what in this is actually going to help stir our hearts towards God? Um, what, what, what's happened for Israel as, as, um, that's brought about this stirred heart for them? Are they just really excited about this new building project? Like I, I watch Grand Designs and that gets me a bit excited sometimes. Uh, I, I don't think that, that's it. I think there's two things that are le- led to a stirred heart for God. Uh, the first one is they've genuinely turned from their idol to serve God. This big building project is an act of repentance. Uh, repentance is when you do a 180 from pursuing what's uh, not good, what's bad, to pursuing the right thing. And so there's evidence of change that has happened for Israel here. Their obedient, their willingness to honour him. And so there's a lesson for us in this. If you're finding yourself in, in an extended period of feeling spiritually dry, like you can't remember the last time your heart was stirred towards God, is it possible that you might be resisting repentance? This, this might not be the case. But could there be an idol in your life that you just haven't been able to pull yourself away from? Worship of false idols results in a dead and bored heart. Your heart will be stirred towards them, but you will never find true satisfaction in them. And so don't resist repentance. Here's the second thing, and I'm going to finish here. I think what's stirring uh, their hearts for worship is God's good mercy towards them. Israel have just broken the covenant. They've given their worship to false idols. And instead of giving them what they deserve, 
He showed them grace. He showed them mercy. He's forgiven them their sins. And this is really what is stirring their heart. It's God's kindness towards them. It's the grace that he's shown them. And so I find that my heart doesn't just spontaneously stir to worship God, but it's only when I reflect on God's goodness towards me, especially what he's done for us in Jesus, that he sent his only son to die for us on our behalf, that we we now have a hope for eternity, something that we don't deserve. And so we need to remind ourselves and others constantly of the good mercy of God towards us in Jesus. We need to take every reminder that we're nothing without his goodness to us. And so as those in Christ, we're being one for the worship of God. Let's offer up our lives to him. Let's keep turning from idols. And as we sing now, let's remind each other of the epic mercy that we have in Jesus. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus. Uh, Lord, we're undeserving of your kindness and your goodness to us. Um, Help us uh, see that. Help us be reminded of that. And help us turn from those idols in our life uh, to you, that our hearts may be stirred towards you in worship. Lord, help us let go of the things that we hold precious. Uh, Please help us in offering up our time, our treasure, our talents to you, Lord. Uh, Would you encourage us to have generous hearts? Uh, Would you fill us with your spirit? And would you move us to worship you uh, in spirit and in truth, Lord? Uh, We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.